PR masterstroke, Arsenal bury bad club news by winning big game. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Thankfully, we have a podcast coming out for you now. Uh, I have to apologize. I have the audacity to go away uh, on holiday to see my family for my parents' 50th anniversary, by the way, uh, in Florida. And as a result, I mustafied the shit out of scheduling the podcast. And so it is coming out a little late and without Paul. But Tim is here. You can find him on Twitter at Stoberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. And Clive is here. You can find him on Twitter at Clive P-A-F-C. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. I also have no return in my headphones, meaning I can't hear myself, um, which some of you might say is the platonic ideal of how the podcast would be, but you can fuck yourself. Um, so, yeah, hey, a couple of things I think we need to clean up here. We're going to talk about the, the big win over Chelsea. I do think we need to send out some kind of press release uh, notifying the fans. I just want to let you guys know this. I don't know if you know Olivier Giroud, Chelsea player. Just, just a heads up there. That's a, that's a Chelsea player. Um, I think we should be clear on that. But yeah, obviously we love the handsome French bastard. When I say we, I mean you and not me. Any event, uh, let's get started. So, uh, Tim, I think the the interesting thing for me with Unai Emery has been his ability to really set us up well for big games. And whatever we think mm. of this guy and the job he's doing or not doing and the flaws he has or doesn't have. I have been mostly, mostly, not entirely, but mostly very impressed with what mm-hmm. he's done strategically for big games. And I thought he got it exactly right this game. Um, I, it looked like a diamond to me. I, I was sort mm-hmm. of surprised that Torreira wasn't playing deepest, but that uh, Shaka was. But it was pretty clear quickly that he went back to something he seemed to want to do early in the season. Split the strikers, press with Ramsey, get the yeah. two wide, uh, you know, wide two in the diamond, pushing forward and and choking off their build-up. He had Ramsey man, Mark Jorginho. I thought it was a masterstroke. How about you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And actually what, what we did was um, slightly different in and out of possession. So when we had possession, it was much more of that box in midfield that I think Emery quite likes, the 2-2-2 two, 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 um, almost. But then when um, we didn't have the ball, obviously Genduzi and Torreira shuffled into those wide areas. And what, what we had um, actually in the kind of front five or six um, I'll do the arithmetic in a minute, but we we had that. Um, I've spoken about this a few times this season, like that V shape off the ball. So you had you know Ramsey sitting on Jorginho, and then both of the centre backs are occupied by the centre forwards, and then both of the full backs, which is then the only other get out if you want to play out like Chelsea do under Sari, were then covered by Torreira and Genduzi, who were straight onto the full backs. So Chelsea. You know, we, we just kept boxing them in. And and actually, what Chelsea probably would have been better off doing is starting with Olivier Giroud so they could go over the top of the press. But they didn't. They started Willian, Pedro and Hazard, um, who are all very similar types of player, um, really. They're all good players, but they all do kind of the same thing. And they don't give you that direct option, really. They're all dribblers. Not There's not... Apart from Pedro, and, and he caught us actually once um, just after we scored, is the only one that really looks to go in behind. And there's certainly nothing nothing doing kind of going over the top. So, um, you know, we, we kind of set a trap for them and they didn't have a way out. And I, I thought that worked really well. It, it's hugely physically demanding, which is why, um, 
you know, obviously Emery has has different plans for different games, um, but it, it's very physically demanding, particularly on, you know, because you're effectively, you're asking Lacazette and Aubameyang to play as centre forwards and not quite wingers, but cover those wide spaces. And same for Genduzi and Torreira. And Torreira was on my side of the pitch in the stadium in the second in the second half. And honestly, the last 20 minutes, he looked like, have you ever like done any long distance running and kind of thought, can I get away with crawling for the last mile? Will anyone have a go at me if I do that? That's kind of what Torreira was like in the last 15, 20 minutes. He was... To, to be fair, Tim, I hate and to interrupt. Fair but, enough. But but yeah. just to be fair, all you have to do to run is hold down right trigger. So, <laughs> you know, maybe he was he holding the controller wrong? Or, or you're talking well, about running in real life. My bad. Yes, okay, go yeah. on. Sorry. Yeah. Um, so, you know, he, he tired very quickly. And actually, I, I think if Chelsea had a striker worthy of the name, they might have given us a bit more trouble in that last 20 minutes. We looked quite leggy. Um, but yeah, absolutely. In fact, you know, to, to kind of build on your point there, um, one of the things a mate and I were saying on the way out was a bit like, can we have Emery manage us for these games and perhaps just have Arsene Wenger back for like the Huddersfield at home? <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, it's funny you should mention that because I actually do think that, you know, you could see why. Emery won a bunch of Europa Leagues and why, mm. you know, he, he's been good in the big games. He does have a feel for really preparing us to nullify what the good teams do. The problem is nullification is a bad strategy against smaller teams, right? Mm. That's when you need to be the protagonist. And I'm not sure that he's as good against teams that aren't interested in playing the football. Um, you know, that we can get into that another day because this is a day for praising mm. him and the job he did. But Clive, I'll shift it over to you and you know, I, I think that we ha- we have to, I think, just start with Ramsey and the energy and personality he brought to this game. I know that he is a player that you detest. I mean, that's probably not strong enough. I, I think loathe at the core of his being. But, you know, despite that, I, I think you would have to acknowledge that, you know, this game got started quickly, which is something that was nice to see. We haven't, you know, we haven't started games great, obviously. We did in this one. And I think a lot of it was down to Ramsey's personality, his his running and his his energy playing a role that at the beginning of the season he didn't look particularly capable of playing. Maybe he didn't understand it, but he certainly looked like he understood it against Chelsea. Yeah, I think that's probably the best role for him. Uh, my issue has always been I don't think he suits playing in a in a in a double pivot. That's been my issue, and you can see what he can do when he's allowed to just run freely, fill the game go and do play to instructions which he did really really well he cut off passing lanes really well and he and i said before i think i bet he wished he found his manager two three years ago who could deploy him properly in a role that suits his strengths that role there is not a number 10 as, as in meza erzl's number 10 i almost call it the highest number eight specifically put in for a job against a team that has a distinctive pattern of play. And it comes back to one of our points we differ on, Elliot. You've been desperate to see what Emery's philosophy is. Well, and you actually quoted that we've all said, oh, Sari's got a philosophy. Well, his philosophy is so easy to read mm-hmm. that team upon team can sit there and say, well, he plays a lot through Jorginho. He's misusing Kante. He's misusing Hazard. So what we'll do is we'll stop their build-up. We'll stop their their top passer. We'll stand in his lanes. We'll put them under pressure. When they don't, when they when they see the number one primary pass two option gone, 
they're going to hit it into our other midfield players that we've got in there, which are hard-working players. We'll get the ball high up and we'll put them under pressure. The whole game plan is around intensity, how long we can sustain it for, can we get a lead to dictate the story of the game. And the only reason you can do that is we've analysed them. Same as Spurs did, very similar game plan for Diamond 2. And any other top team will do exactly the same against them because... They haven't got the flexibility of tactics to change, right? So, and he's sticking to his one philosophy. And, and I'm in no rush to see what Emery's philosophy is. I like the fact he's tactically flexible. The problem is when he's tactically flexible and he gets it wrong, he's either seen to be too negative or not positive enough or not playing the right players. When he's tactically flexible and he gets it right, it's because of the very same set players that are on the pitch that we, de- we debate about. Then he's seen to be a genius and when it all, all comes down to it all this does is it takes how shallow we are as football fans and all that matters is winning and when we win everything is sunny and when we don't we're looking to to show that we were either right or wrong about individuals right or wrong about the manager right or wrong about where we're going i think a lot of this is due to our lack of maturity as a fan base right to are we really giving this club a chance to rebuild and restructure or are we just taking it result to result seeing how we feel and then pouring scorn on whether it's good or praising whether it's bad and i think this is something we got to really ask ourselves as, as a fan base how prepared are we to really support this guy through a change which is going to be incredibly difficult given all you know the financial circumstances the financial fair play circumstances and the, the squad circumstances that we have that we have to overcome over the next two, three transfer windows. I think therein lies the challenge for all of us, really. And we all waver on occasion. I think it's going to be fun to watch that going forward. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, look, I think the clearest point I can make here, Clive, uh, building off what you've just said is I am fully prepared to support Emery. All I mm-hmm. ask is that he win every game. If he wins exactly. every game, I am fully prepared to support him. But to be fair, if he's going to drop points ever, I'm not going to be happy about that. I'm going to be really unhappy. So, you know, I just, I, that's sort of where I am analytically right now. Um, you know, Tim, I, f- I feel weird coming to this right off the top, but it happened early. I mean, Aubameyang gets a chance. Was it good defense? Was the ball slightly behind him? It, it looks like another miss. He obviously had a spectacular overhead kick that just whistles past the post that could have balanced it out. He winds up with 0.72 XG on the game, um, you know, compared to Lacazette, who's the star of the game at 0.13, but it's the big misses. I mean, ironically, Lauren Koscielny shows up with a 0.97 XG, but that, that's another story. We'll get to that in a minute. I mean, as long as someone's scoring the goals and Aubameyang is getting a lot of chances, are you happy to say that playing both of them is working and, as long as he keeps getting chances, you're happy to see him starting? Or at some point, do you get concerned that, that the misses are a problem? Mm. Um, b- before I answer that, I just want to make a really quick point on Ramsey, which is... Um, ah, sure, yeah, I'm sorry. I should have given you a shot. Yeah, no, that's fine. Um, if you give him a job, he does it. Um, yeah. I know I know he... Uh, he ha- and I understand that he has this reputation of being a bit of a wanderer, but we've seen it a lot. If you give him a job to do, he does it. He, he does go to instruction and he did this time. And I think there's something slightly different about playing the tip of a diamond compared to playing a number 10 role when you've got effectively wide forwards either side of you. So you're in a three behind a striker. I do think it's a bit different because it, he's got, you've got a bit more. For, first of all, there's, there's, 
it requires energy because you've got you've got more ground to cover and that suits him but it also gives you more space and it gives him space to run into and that's that's all that's all stuff he can do really really well um on a Bamiang. can i can i just ask you a question yeah. then follow up on ramsey just sure. super super quick yeah. based on the character that performance and some of his recent performances are you happy to see or would you be happy to see emery continue to give um Ramsey a run as a starter in the team for the balance of the season even though he's off just because he certainly seems like he's willing to put in a professional effort and can do a, do a job that suits what Emery wants from that position yeah yeah absolutely and particularly if we're in this uh, pattern of kind of freezing out Ozil I, I kind of think we have to if we're going to do that um, but yeah so I, I, if if there's a job that he can do and I think there are a few jobs he can do absolutely I think he should play and I think we're in that kind of short-term pattern now where we've got definite targets um, there's no more league cup there's no more lower league sides in the FA Cup there's no more rotated 11s now um, you know every, every game's a bit of a, a must-win game um, so I, I you know I, I absolutely um, can I just come back in on that a little bit, Tim? Just because uh, I totally agree with you about Ramsey being given a job, and this mm. is the way that Emery's using him. Every time, almost every time he's using him, he's given him a job. It's either impact off the bench or a specific role from the start. And every time he goes on, he's not going on and wandering. He's going on to either disrupt or mark or drive and he's been given a specific job and this is why i mean i bet he wish he'd have met him two three years ago because too many times when he played for arsenal venga he's allowed to go on the pitch and just play midfield right and i think that actually played to his weaknesses which is wandering without structure and instruction he wandered in this game but he wandered right in Jorginho's pocket Right? And everywhere he went, he wandered around him. And if you want to have a running race with anybody when it comes to endurance, well, good luck. Because this guy can run all day. Do you see what I mean? But mm. even even then, he's been taking him off in games. Yeah. And isn't it strange, Tim? He's not been injured no more. We've cast yeah, yeah. and things like that. And again, we, used, we, we overran him, overplayed him. He'd break down at critical moments. We lose him for three months. We take another month to get back to form. We was getting back to form. People like me will criticise him. Then suddenly he'll get back <laughs> on his game again. And But you know what? It's about how you're managed and utilised. I don't mm. think he's hardly had any strains this season. And he hasn't started masses of games, but he's played in a number of, of games. He's barely played 90 minutes. And he's probably quietly had one of his more effective seasons because he always looks fresh, he always looks energetic, and he's always got a job to do. And I think this is what you can do when someone's managed properly. And this is what I meant by, I bet he wished he met Emery two, three years well, ago. Well, I think what we can agree is that by the end of this season, when he leaves on a free for Juventus, we will probably have figured out how to use him best. So that's good. Exactly. Um, <laughs> and uh, I'll start to like him. Then. Yeah, there you <laughs> go. Everything will be good in the world uh, until it isn't. So, hey, uh, uh, Tim, yeah, I apologize. We've, we've yeah. meandered. No, no, but yeah, on, on the point of the strikers, how, how do you feel yeah. about the partnership, even with Aubameyang missing chances? Yeah, so I, I actually felt the first, well, the the chance, because I mean, the, the overhead kick was out of nothing. That early chance he missed, I, I actually thought that I can't I can't remember maybe it was as Pilaqueta. Yeah. I mean that makes all the difference. That makes all the difference. Um that that's that's one of those just because he didn't take the ball, you know, he absolutely that's a tackle as far as I'm concerned, because he completely puts him off at the last moment. Um 
takes his eye off it ever so slightly and th- and that that's the difference there so i don't think he like genuinely scuffed it i think he was made to i'd count that almost like a block um to be honest so i'm not as concerned about that one but obviously yes there is a pattern about him you know missing chances and whatever i personally i'm i'm happy because um he gets so many that he puts them away and uh, one of the things I was reflecting on after the game was, uh, I mean, I tried to put this quite clumsily on Twitter about how, you know, Arsenal tried for years and years and boy, did they try to upgrade on Olivier Giroud and boy, are Chelsea trying to trying to upgrade on Olivier Giroud. And then finally, like Arsenal have got two strike, like two really, really good strikers who do quite different things and who work in tandem together. And uh, and I'm looking across at Chelsea at the moment, who are fielding Hazard as a false nine and trying to like push Morata off a cliff somewhere and drive him off into the woods or something. Uh, and you look at Tottenham, who've got who got Son and Kane injured um, at the moment, and they're you know trying Urente up front. And I'm thinking, we're like, how did this happen? All of a sudden, we're we're the team with the really really good strikers. Except everybody and, um, still loves Giroud more than both of them. It, it, exactly, <laughs> yeah. That, and that was the weird thing that, like, he was he was quite criticised. You know, he's quite heavily maligned for the first few years. And by then, who? I, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> and and I think maybe slightly more than was necessary. And now that <laughs> seems to have tipped in completely the opposite direction. But that that was the thing I, I just I reflected on and found really funny. It just like a comparing us to some of our immediate rivals in the top six, and you know. United are, are developing Rashford very nicely, but Lukaku's nowhere, Morata's nowhere, Kane and Son are injured, and I'm looking at us thinking, and Chelsea are playing Hazard, and I'm thinking, we're, like, we're the ones after all these years of trying, of like Sonogo and trying to get Barr on loan and Bentner, all of a sudden we're the one with like these two brilliant strikers, and um, how do we show appreciation? We boo the substitution of one of them. <laughs> <laughs> which is which is a really Emirates way of showing appreciation. By the way. And, uh, and 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 I know as people misunderstood me when I said this on Twitter. I know Lacazette wasn't being booed. I know the the decision was being booed. But you you know what I mean? That's, yeah, of course. That's a very Emirates Stadium way of yeah, saying the way you like... show your appreciation for the striker is booing the manager for taking him off instead of yeah. clapping the striker. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And then and yet like you know Giroud. Yeah. And listen, I I understand why Giroud's popular. Perhaps I don't understand why he's as popular as he is but i understand why he's popular and i you know was very happy to give him a round of applause when he did his kind of lap of honor at the end and and that's all fine but um yeah i've I've got something in the works this week actually about um the the really weird like politics that go behind leaving a club in the right way because over the last few weeks we've had nasri at west ham booed um by the away end at west ham we've had Giroud at chelsea had his name sung more than any Arsenal player, including Lauren Koscielny, who, by the way, you know, has, has completed this wonderful comeback arc and put in a man-of-the-match performance and nobody seems to care. Um, and, yeah, so we've... And, and and now we've got, like, Ramsey, who has been quite a divisive character. Well, not a character, as a player. and But he's he's heading into leaving in the right-way territory because he's going abroad... He's keeping his head down and keeping his mouth shut and not complaining. And because of the contract situation, 
there's um, a perception. And when I say perception, I don't mean this is an incorrect perception, but he's kind of uh, not the victim, but, you know, he's the one who's being wronged. So Ramsey will walk out of Arsenal unless he does something really silly in the next few months. He'll walk out a bit of a hero. But then you look at someone like Bakary Sanya, <laughs> who left in pretty much exactly the same circumstances, and, and people booed him when he came back. Which is insane, by and, the way. Yeah. And, and yeah, I, I don't understand those people, and I, I hope never to have any kind of um, relationship with them. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> All right. I don't know them. I don't want to know them. Um, so sorry, that was a, that was a bit of a meander on a, another topic that was on my mind. But it's it's quite weird, isn't it? Like there doesn't seem to be a consistent set of criteria no. for the right way to leave a club because to kind of go to Chelsea, which I think most people understood for family reasons and stuff. And um, yeah, but to answer your question, um, <laughs> I'm fine. I'm fine with Aubameyang missing chances more so than I was with Giroud missing chances because Aubameyang is one goal short of Giroud's best ever Premier League total. So there's well, your answer. Well, and the, the great thing is he was he was converting about, I think, something like 60% of his big chances early in the season. On the last 13, I think he's, or last 10, he's converted like 13%. So what that tells you is since this stuff does average out, I mean, strikers finish big chances at a pretty consistent rate between 40 and 60%. We should be due for a purple patch for him, which would come at a very nice period. The last, you know, third or, you know, fifth or quarter. What, what would you call it? Third? The, the last two-fifths? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> two, yeah. Two-fifths. Anyway, you get my point. I was told there'd be no maths. Um, so in any event, well, Clive, staying with the striker theme, you know, I mean, people were booing Lacazette getting taken off, but I, I actually thought he probably deserved to be taken off only in the sense that, my God, he'd put in a hell of a shift. And I think what made Lacazette's performance so impressive beyond the incredible touch to kill the ball, get past a man, and roof it with no backlift, um, which was extraordinary, was just the hustle and the tackling and the fight that he showed all game. And I thought his leadership in terms of tracking back and defending and committing to being everywhere on the pitch was, you know, really something that was, was you know, catching throughout the side. It was contagious. And you look at Aubameyang at one point, you know, he made a tackle tracking back in the box that if Mustafi had made it, he would have given away a penalty. Um, by the way, I don't mean to shit on Mustafi, but <laughs> yeah, who am I kidding? Of course I do. Um, so, I mean, as far as Lacazette's performance, you know, how impressed were you with him and in particular just his energy to be committed? And here, let me give you some statistics to just sort of support this game. 61 defensive actions against Chelsea, tackles, interceptions, block passes, and fouls. The highest for Arsenal all season, seventh highest of any team this season. 33 tackles, the highest for any team in the Premier League this season. So, um, you know, a lot of defensive actions, a lot of tackling, and I thought Lacazette was sort of spearheading that from the front. Yeah, it just makes you wish that we could press like that all the time, doesn't it? And yes. Yes. I think we've we've linked it to big games, but I, I don't link it to big games. I just link it to you could see even like the first minute or so. Oh, we're, we're at it today, you know. And it's like maybe you have got a point, Elliot. I shouldn't dismiss it. We're at it today, so we're we're playing against somebody, and we're thinking, okay, it's going to be hard. We've got to up everything, and it, everybody was at it straight away from the start. Everybody was playing at a, a completely different level to West Ham. And, and I just think we need to flick that defensive 
offensive performance. What I mean by that is just off the ball pressing and quick transitions. We need to have the same intensity when we have the ball. Don't fall into a full sense of security. Don't think, oh, we have it. We have this, you know, false domination. We just need to really penetrate and go through teams with the same ferocity. I think that's something that belongs to the manager's instructions. But also, I think it belongs to the player's intent. And sometimes when you have the ball and teams drop into a low block, it does force you to look for those people who are going to be proactive. We've relied a lot on our fullbacks to do that. And what we haven't had in recent weeks has been two fullbacks that want to run through, want to run through people. I think that maybe affected us at West Ham in particular. But, um, I mean, the front three in particular, they were in the area where the game was won. They led by example, and that gave the sort of middle three in the V an opportunity to then protect the back line, get around Hazards. I mean, that's the key thing with Hazard. You've got to get around them with bodies, give them two or three to beat. If you don't do that, you're in trouble. And I can barely remember a quieter game for Hazard. And that's because the front three worked so hard. They restricted the quality of servicing. And then the middle three had a chance to go and double up and help defenders out when, when Chelsea dribblers started to dribble. And as Tim alluded to, the only time where I felt we were I mean, concern was when uh, Pedro ran in behind. We didn't get pressure on Louise. He ran in behind, and that was a chance that they had really, apart from set pieces, to really do something. So I thought, I, I looked at the collective and thought it was fantastic. I, you know, with these two strikers, you do feel that four diamond two is the best way to go. I would have said before the season has started that Torreira at the base is the way to go, but actually the way we're using him, quite similar to Kante, but I think he's better on the ball than Kante, is quite useful because that means that, that makes us pro- more proactive and more engaging. It's amazing how Gwen Doozy seems to get in his team no matter what, right? <laughs> which I think, which is um, also a testament to him, his personality and and how he feels he belongs because whether you play him in a two or you play him left of a three, I mean, he is probably, if you're looking at a Ramsey replacement, somebody with work rate, somebody who can go two ways, he's probably that player now, right? So if Ramsey goes... He's, he's sort of showing he can play in a number of positions. Okay, he hasn't done the, the high eight yet or the 10 behind the two, but um, he has a similar sort of running, similar sort of um, expression in his movements. And I just think he's, for 19, he, he, he's, he's something else. So I looked at the collective and you could see straight away, I don't know how it felt in the grand team, you could see straight away from the screen that we're on this we're on this today and the crowd they feel it we all feel it and I just thought we I know we've beaten some of these big teams at home but I really thought we looked better than them yeah I, I really agree did mm. I well, really thought we looked better than them and I think there's something happening with this sort of, this four for two positions and um, I don't think I don't think he's done I really don't it's going to be interesting to see who can manage the adversity at the end of the season the best well, is going to come up the, the the irony, Clive, is that we had a manager who, when he kept bringing us to top four, it was on the strength of beating the minnows and not always being competitive against the best teams. And, mm. you know, the problem for Emery is it will be so much fun to support an Arsenal that wins big games. But if we can't get max points against the minnows, which is what all these other teams have been doing all season long... Mm. That's where top four is going to be lost, unfortunately. And, you know, I, I think yeah. this is another example. Look, Sari has a very, very clear way of playing. And I think Emery is very good at nullifying, like I said. And that, that's not meant to be a criticism of him. I just think, you know, when you play a West Ham, what are you going to nullify? 
they want you to just come try to break them down and they're going to try to find little openings here or there. And so I, I love a point you made. I wish our intensity on the ball against the minnows was as great as our intensity off the ball in these big games um, because you're on the ball a lot more. And actually, Tim, one of the things that I thought was an interesting feature of this game is it reminded me a lot of the first game in some ways. Very open in the first half. We had some really good chances. Some we took, some we didn't. We had some open moments where they played right through us and could have created chances and missed the final ball or missed the chance. And then the second half, we just completely closed up shop. The difference is we did it with a two-goal lead this time uh, instead yeah. of trying to protect a draw, and I think we did it even better. And a big reason for that is Lauren Koscielny. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I think there was a point this season where I looked at him and I thought it might be over for him. And, you know, I am not prone to making snap judgments about <laughs> players, especially <laughs> negative snap judgments. So I, I admit that I was maybe out of character there. But, you know, it, it, it is really interesting. 42 clearances made by Arsenal in the match. Highest total for us this season. 13 of them leading the team by Laurent Koscielny. Um, I don't know that we always defended as well as the narrative suggests. I think that we were open at times. And they played through us at times, particularly in the first half. But that's when Koscielny and Socrates, but particularly Koscielny, were there to clean up. How impressed were you with his performance specifically as it relates to, you know, on the whole, what was a... a, a a coherent to, to, you know, maybe that's not glowing enough, but I think that's fair. A coherent defensive display. Yeah. Yeah. It was incredibly impressive. Um, and, and I think some of it is because of what was going on around him. Yeah. Um, he didn't have to go herring into space too often. Um, and you know, he, had, cause we had like Torreira and Genduzzi kind of protecting the fullbacks. Um, I don't know if you read Lewis Ambrose's piece, um, about the game, um, on Ask Blog, but he he wrote a very uh, it was very interesting about the tactical approach. But something I didn't I didn't really notice in the ground was that um, uh, he he was talking about how Bellerin really held back, and actually Bellerin didn't go forward that much. He kind of stayed where he was and almost played like a bit of a playmaker, um, not least to try and get the ball down the sides a little bit of the pitch, and he kept playing. You know, that ball, not quite into the channel, but just like going on the outside. Um, and, you know, that that basically there was a nice kind of compact structure around him. Um, and so, what you know, what did he have? Something like 13 clearances. So you kind of get um, the best of Lauren Koscielny that way, where you have like a proper defensive structure. And he can just concentrate on being a defender and not being a firefighter, albeit down the years he's been quite a good firefighter. But... I, I'm not sure if um, at this stage of his career and with the injuries, injury problem he's had, whether he can be that firefighter anymore. And I think um, I, I think Andrew um, on Ask Blog like compared it a bit to Per Mertesacker's performance in the FA Cup final. I thought that was a decent mm. comparison because that day Mertesacker did something quite similar. He had holding next to him and he was like, right, you go and run about, you go and get involved with Diego Costa and you go and eyeball him. And, you know, you get involved in all of that. I'm too fucking old to do that now. <laughs> so I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to sweep up and you go after him. And if the ball goes in behind you, I'm here. 
um, kind of thing, that kind of senior partner. And, and I feel like uh, Socrates and Koscielny did something a little bit similar, but also I don't feel like they were stressed because the structure around them was good. We had four like hardworking midfielders who were coming back. Obviously, Chelsea didn't really have much of a striker on there. And so Koscielny, you know, could, you know, position himself to get rid of crosses and things like that and just do the sort of things that a 33-year-old who's played at the top level for a number of years can do, just kind of knowing when and where the danger's going to be. And when it's not more than five yards away, that's fine. His positioning, you know, a centre-back's positioning, particularly at that point of their career, is fine. Five to ten yards either side. The problem comes when the danger is 20 yards away from them and they have to go sprinting towards it. And we didn't make him do that. And what we got was a performance from a guy who's been a top, who's been, you know, a top level defender for close to a decade. And just having that sixth sense for danger. And I, I thought he was superb. And for me, this is one of the stories of the season that this guy has been able to come back and put in a performance like that and get a very well deserved goal as well. Yeah, and you know, I have to say the irony, of course, is that early in his Arsenal career, he he had the ability to give away a penalty, yep. you know, or get red carded. And you know, I look at Mustafi, and there's a part of me that says, as much as I want to write him off, if he could just take a page out of the development book of Koscielny, mm-hmm. you know, just a little, a little more circumspect, a little more careful about staying on his feet, and and the way he, you know decides he needs to handle situations there's a player in there and it's so great to see Koscielny make this comeback and be you know a man of the match candidate in a big game for Arsenal captain of the club and you know we don't always get these good stories and on the flip side of that coin you know for every one in we have one out so of course we have to talk about Hector Beller and we're going to do that on the other side of the break Clyde before we take the break uh quickly do you want to add anything on the uh, the partnership between Socrates and, and Koscielny and his performance yeah, they're, they're our best two defenders. And that, that was as simple as that. And uh, I think Tim's point is, is classic way of using the diamond. He didn't have to go dashing after the ball 15 yards in front, which means breaking the back line. And I think that was key to his composure and his reading of crosses, which I actually don't think is a strength of his. He is very good in duels, one-on-ones, but actually near post positioning, I've never felt that was one of his, his strengths. But because he wasn't so stressed in front, he was able to take that position up really well and really manage that well. And I I, I was always hopefully would come back because he is quite an athletic, player and um you know medical science is getting better and better with these injuries these days and um if american footballers can come back from an injury then a, a, then an english footballer can come back quite easily so um but pace is the issue and we all saw in that video that the the, the efforts they go in to make sure the pace is there and I, I still feel he's, he's very much quick enough um but i think the formation takes the stress away and that allows those two to work as a unit and uh, I won't go into the fullback piece just yet because I've got some thoughts around that. Well, but we're, we're going to get to it, yep. Yeah, I'll hold that back for now. But yeah, absolutely. I've, I've always felt he's critical to our top four race. And maybe he came back a touch too soon. But from the Fulham home game, you start to see him come back. And since then, I think we got him back. So now it's about making sure we don't lose him again by overplaying him. If we want to be fair to Emery, and I am loath to be fair to anybody ever, 
Um, we went through really our worst period of this season at a time when the central defensive options were pretty thin um, yeah. and the fullback options were pretty thin. And he was picking some pretty conservative sides, maybe to try to protect a very vulnerable back line. And maybe, just maybe, with a center back pairing that he can trust. Now, they can't play twice a week. But a center back pairing he can trust, maybe we will be able to see the best of Emery again, uh, you know, and an Emery that is a little more progressive. So it, yeah. it'll be interesting to see how that develops. Quick, quick question before the break for you, Clive. Uh, how is your relationship with your wife? Yeah, it's pretty cool. She, she's still in the same house as me. So that's a start, right? Okay. Um, I would say, and I know you have kids, so I know you have been intimate with her before. Uh, I assume that was the last time. We can bring that back. We can bring that back. Valentine's Day is around the corner. We're going to sell you some underwear. We're going to sell you some lingerie. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about Hector Bellerin. Stay with us. Okay, everyone, it's time to tell you about our friends at Enclosed Lingerie. You can find them online at the Enclosed, the E-N-C-L-O-S-E-D dot com. Enclosed Lingerie is a Lingerie of the Month Club. That's right, just like a Beer of the Month Club, only better because it's a high-end luxury lingerie gift for you and your partner that's going to enhance the intimacy in your relationship. Right now, if you put in Arsenal at checkout, they're going to give you $35 off any gift from Enclosed Lingerie. So you're going to want to go to theenclosed.com and sign up now. Look, Valentine's Day is around the corner. What better way to celebrate the romance in your relationship than celebrating Valentine's Day with a gift from The Enclosed? And the gifts keep coming every month. So while it can be difficult to remember to keep the romance, to keep the intimacy in your relationship, The Enclosed has your back. Every month you're going to get that high-end luxury lingerie gift, and it's going to remind you of the importance of romance in your relationship. So do it now. Go to theenclosed.com. There is a perfect fit guarantee, so you never have to worry about the fit. It's beautiful high-end luxury lingerie. Just go to theenclosed.com and enter promo code ARSENAL for $35 off at checkout. Do it now. Okay, we're back. Uh, Now that we got you sorted for Valentine's Day, uh, we have to talk some negatives briefly, and it is it's a sad thing to talk about. Um, before we get to Hector, there's another, uh, I think, sort of sad note here. I just feel bad. So, so Tim, may, maybe you'll have a different read on this, but I, look, I know it's not going to be a popular opinion. I feel bad for Stan Kroenke because his <laughs> NFL team finally gets into the Super Bowl, but he's going to be in Manchester for the City Arsenal game. So oh, yeah. uh, he's going to miss the Super Bowl, I assume. I mean, oh, I don't nice. know that. I assume he's going to go to the, the, Arsenal, the big Arsenal game. And, and not yeah. be able to get back in time for He'll the Super Bowl. He'll probably end up sitting next to me in the away end again, like <laughs> drunk and disorderly and swearing at the ref. Yeah, well, to, he'll, to be fair, he's going to have that extra energy because of the Super Bowl that he'll be missing. So shame, shame about that, but that's okay. Um, uh, and by the way, before anybody assumes that the fact that he's got a team in the Super Bowl means he's going to direct us in the right direction, they're, they're not comparable. Don't, <laughs> don't worry about it. Um, okay, let's talk Hector Bellerin. Tim, I, I thought it was a great performance for him right up until his cruise ship went pop. It is a devastating injury for a player who is an even better man than he is a player, just a human mm. being that you have to like, a person who is, is imbued with so much now. I mean, it is a terrible loss for Arsenal. I think Ainsley Maitland-Niles is the one who's probably going to be tasked with coming in and replacing him even more than Lick Steiner, which is maybe unfair because I'm not convinced he's a fullback. His career is basically now reduced to whether he can thrive as a right back. And to be fair, 
that's the kind of break that unfortunately sometimes young players need to, to show they're good enough. Mm-hmm. But I mean, where do you start with this Bellerin thing? I mean, in your opinion, is, is this a potential season breaker for us? Yeah, it, it might be actually just because, um, I mean, we're already playing catch up, right? And, it, you know, lo- losing three players to serious injury um, is, is is pretty unfortunate. But uh, this has been pointed out by a lot of people. These, these are three players who really seem to fit what Emery wants um, to varying degrees. And, you know, holding, uh, you know, I, I don't think anyone's saying holdings like the the new Bobby Moore or anything, but he just fitted what Emery wanted. He had the physical, he's one of the few defenders we have who has the physical profile to play the high line that we usually play with. He can pass out very well. He just, you know, sometimes you need world-class players. Sometimes you need players that just fit what you want to do and they will look a lot better for it. And holding was like that. Ditto Welbeck um, could play, pretty much any position in any formation in that forward line that Emery wants him to. And, and yeah, this, this, this one's really, really tough because Bellerin um, for a start is, he's a superb player. Um, he really, I think has taken to what Emery wants in that kind of um, creative fullback role. And we're really beginning to see, you know, where he, he kind of stagnated last season, which I don't really think was his fault. Um, but, you know, you, we really started to see him dial it up again. And, and obviously on a human level, you know, he, he he's someone I've, I've got a lot of time and a lot of affection for. As, as for how we replace him, I think it should be Ainsley Maitland-Niles. I think Licksteiner, I think Licksteiner, I, I feel for Licksteiner because he's 35. He's come to a new league. He's playing right back one week, left back the next right wing back, right centre back alongside different defensive partners all the time. Like like nobody looks good um, in that scenario. Nobody. Um, so I, I feel like Lichstein is getting a hard time for things that aren't really his fault. That said, um, I also think his signing is kind of what happens when you sign players before you appoint a manager. I, I don't, he's not an Emery fullback. Um, and had Emery been here when that signing was signed off on, I'm not sure it would have happened. I think Licksteiner is not a bad player. It's just he, he, he's not nothing like Bellerin and it just changes the way we play too much. Um, I would give Maitland Niles that chance. There is a lot of recent history, a lot um, of, of fullbacks providing unlikely heroes in the Arsenal team and kind of weird story arcs. Um, you know, going back to Ashley Cole and we and went to Matthew a Champions Flamini. League final with a Bue. I mean, <laughs> exactly a Bue, Flamini, Andre Santos. You know, Cole Jenkinson. It's, it's been a very colourful position for Arsenal down the years. But you know, Bellerin himself got his chance through um, happenstance, really. And I think Maitland Niles. He just first of all, he he has roughly the physical profile of Bellerin to do what he does. Secondly, the futures of Licksteiner and Jenkinson are decided. We will sell Jenkinson as soon as we can. Licksteiner's only got a one-year contract. Maitland-Niles has been around the first team um, for a little while now as a squad player, but hasn't really had the chance to properly establish himself in the Arsenal squad. I don't think he's played enough in midfield yet for us to say, no, 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 he's definitely a midfielder. I, d- I don't think, you know, he went on loan to Ipswich and played on the right wing. He he doesn't have many like top-class appearances in central midfield, and that still might be where he ends up. 
But I think for his sake, if he's looking to really nail down a place in this squad, he needs to jump on the train that's standing on the platform rather than waiting for another one. Because like I said earlier, there's no more rotated sides anymore. He's not going to get games in central midfield this season unless there's an injury crisis, which could happen, of course. But there's, you know, there's a train on the platform now and I think he needs to jump on it. And I think if he can do a decent job at right back for the next few months, you know, his his medium term future will probably be secure. That doesn't mean he has to be a right back forever. They might reassess it in the summer and they might say, well, do you know what? Maybe you'll be our James Milner. Maybe you can play in midfield sometimes, right back sometimes, left back sometimes um, and you can be that player or, you know, Maybe you'll be Lauren. Maybe you'll be the midfielder that became a right back. What it, it, I just think it opens up the world for him a little bit more than sitting there and waiting probably for the League Cup third round next season to play in central midfield again. Um, and I think, you know, Jenkinson, I suppose, can do that getting up and down thing. And he's not as bad a player as people say. But, you know, his future's decided. He's, what, 25, 26? I, I feel like this is quite a big opportunity for Maitland-Niles. And I think for the team, it, it just makes sense because it, it's the best it's the best approximation we've got of Bellerin. But it's, it's not going to be perfect, ultimately. No. Uh, look, Bellerin had seven passes to Lacazette alone in this game, two to Aubameyang. He, he had an assist. When Bellerin was out, we were so left-sided. We depended so much on Kolasinac for everything, and he has a history of being in and out of the squad. Emery's teams attack using the wide spaces and and the fullbacks, stroke wingbacks in particular, and their delivery into the box. And Bellerin has gotten, I mean, from a guy who couldn't cross to save his life to a guy who has a feel for changing angles, for cutting inside, for over, you know overlapping better with his midfield partners. I, I just think he's developed leaps, leaps and bounds in the attacking half, and you know, he was a player who was a one-trick pony, and that trick was his pace. I think he's gotten a lot more clever about how he uses the ball. And so while we will miss him defensively, I think if we go back to being that very predictable left-side bias, one-way, you know, one route to goal through Kolasinac, like that, that's going to be a problem. And so I do agree that it's got to be Maitland-Niles, and we're wish-casting on him a little bit, but I agree physically he has some of the traits. I mean, Clive, I'm sure you're chomping at the bit to get in here. Um, your thoughts on... on, uh, on Stan not being able to attend the Super Bowl. No, I'm kidding. Uh, your your thoughts on on the Bellerin and potentially Maitland Niles replacement situation? I, I think yeah. Obviously, we're all we're all fans on here on Maitland Niles, and we've been talking about him for quite a long time. And and sometimes you get a chance in life; it's not ideal, and you, and you can't always choose what what you want to do, and you have to take it right. And that's your foot in the door. And this is his foot in the door. I will say though that we have to be careful with him. Um, we can't just think. You know, wish him into that position and think he can play three times in eight days. I think there are games coming up when we can do something else, right? So we've got Cardiff at home. Does he need to play that game? Right? You know, does he need to play that game before we go to Man City away? Right? So I would say we need his speed to Man City away, and we could play Lichsteiner or we could play Mustafi at right back, and I'm and I'm not against that. And 
is something that Tim mentioned earlier on about having a sort of a right-sided underlapper playmaker who can pass, but your left side rocks around and that's the side you really drive on. And so what you do then, you end up with three defenders at the back all the time, shuffling across, you shuffle and you cover the left-hand side and you overload on that side. And so there are options and you have a, a much more of a static right side which sets the play or finishes off chances, right? So again, the, the picture changes is when Mkhitaryan comes back who's going to combine with him what type of combination will it be um, will they use a Bamyang on the right in the three and then you don't want anyone going past him you just want someone setting the ball for him and giving him good service right so although Maitland-Niles in our you know if we had a European Cup final tomorrow we'd probably pick him in that position but there are plenty of games like you know Huddersfield away that's going to be a game where you need to be able to have somebody who can defend on the back post, who likes to, you know, likes to go into contact, who's good in his box potentially, and when they put the ball in the air to very strong strikers, and that could be a day for Lichsteiner or Mustafi. So, I I would like to see that position rotated, just like we, if we're all honest and we think back to how Bellerin's been used over the last few years, we're all secretly thinking he's probably played more minutes than any other Arsenal player in the last three years. And I think, I'm not saying that's what happened here, but it's his first game back from an injury, a calf injury. So his body was telling him, you know, this is a problem. You've got a problem coming up. None of us expect his knee to explode like it did, but it comes back to having a proper squad with proper like players. So when you rotate them, you don't have to change how you play. I think what we've got to do, and I do think we have to do this, is that we have to buy a fullback in the summer because we won't see the best of Bellerin until about this time next year. And that's a long time to wait. It's going to take nine months to come back and, and two, three months to get back to any type of fitness or productivity. So don't underestimate what that's done to him. And we have to think about a true right back, which absolutely does what he does. Maitland-Niles, defensively, very strong, very good in stand-up tackles, uses a ball like a midfielder. He doesn't really run through lines proactively. So he's someone that can do the job, make us feel good, but the one that runs through do, lines... Do you think that's by instruction, though? I mean, do you think there's part of that that's just a manager worried about his maybe defense, weakness in terms of his defensive discipline or reading of the game and it no, restricts his running? That's that's who he is, right? So mm. when you're a midfielder, you, you go and get the ball. You say, give it to me here. I'm, I'm good on it. I can look after it. Don't worry. Just give it to me now. I'll take it standing here. That's a midfielder. That's someone who's been brought up with as a midfielder. They want the ball to his feet. Obviously, he can go after a ball. He can recover. He's very quick on recovery speed. But funny enough, Jenkinson's different profile. He wants the ball into space, and he sets off early, and he commits to his run. And he's probably, in a strange way, he's probably closer to Bellerin offensively than even Maitland-Niles is. But a combination of Maitland-Niles one-on-one defending and his speed and his ability to beat his man off the dribble, which tells you, I'm a midfielder, I'm somebody who's played wide a lot. I can stop you and start you and take you and run past you and run away from you. Now, Jenkinson can't do that, right? He wants the ball into space, he wants to run onto it, he wants to whip the ball into the box. So I see a, I see a rotation in that position, and that's exactly what we should do. We have players who can play it, so rotate them depending on the opponent and, and go from there. Um, I'll stay with you just for a second. I want to just ask you sort of a weird question. You know, right now, Sari is under a lot of pressure because he's using Jorginho deepest and Conte is more advanced and people are saying it's a waste of Conte and, 
they're not getting yeah. the best out of him. And, you know, if that's what he wanted Jorginho for, they should have sold Conte and so on and so forth. Ironically, Emery did something that I thought worked really well, but would have surprised us certainly at the beginning of the season, which is he played Shaka deepest and deployed yeah. Torreira a little more advanced. How do you feel about that as sort of a going forward strategy of Shaka sitting the deepest with Torreira being more advanced or out wide and not being the one to shield the back four? Yeah, I think it's showing you what the attributes of that player is. I'm not, you know, I think I, I'm not against what what Chelsea are trying to do there with um, Jorginho. The problem that they have is everyone knows it's going to him. So what you need to do is create other passing lanes. So what we should be talking about a lot more is Kovacic, right, and what he's doing. And does Kante really want to come and get it? I don't think he does. Torreira doesn't mind coming to get it and moving it quickly. So then you need, okay, I need Hazard to come in deeper because he's the pivot player up front. You're now losing his ability to come deeper and, and come and get the ball. So Chelsea need to create different lines of attack. And so what that's going to do then is free Jorginho. And sometimes they just need to go direct first to create the the second ball space and, and take people away from Jorginho. And then he can play his game. What they're doing is just say they're, they're just allowing teams to get to them. They're keeping the ball in the wrong areas too long and they are allowing us to read their game. Now, for Arsenal now, Shaka, I'm a big fan of him, although I thought he was awful against West Ham and I was I was wavering very much so and I did see a limit to him in he that game. He had a mixed game against Chelsea, I thought, too. I mean, he could have picked up well, a, a couple of yellow cards. I think we got a little lucky with the leniency he was shown. Yeah, maybe. And I think he had a quiet influence and and I think the role suits him. Uh, I think in the two, the role suits him with, with Torreira obviously masking his weaknesses. But the way they use those energetic eights you know, next to him, I, I like that. He's literally got three people just dashing around ahead of him in, in, a, in, a, you know, in that diamond, really physical. And all he has to do is be available, receive it, step in when there's a bit of trauma, block off, create fouls, slow things down. But, of course, when it comes to him, his biggest trick of all is his pace of pass, right? When he switches it out wide, either to forwards or, you know, or to fullbacks, it gets there in like a millisecond, and then we can progress from there. And, that, and that's the key for us to get in, us up the pitch in a really sharp and direct way, right? So I like him there. I like him in the two. Um, I didn't like him at West Ham. That's all I'll say for now. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Um, Tim, let me ask you just generally, broadly, if we're not going to use Ozil, for me, um, you know, I, I think that what we should do is pay me £350,000 a week because <laughs> I'm happy to do the same job. But if we're not going to use Ozil, then I think you do have to point out the fact that creativity in the squad is maybe lacking in terms of players that mm-hmm. really have that precision, that final ball in the final third. We have guys that are good getting it there, maybe not guys who are great once it is there. And for mm-hmm. me, that raises the issue of what style best suits us. I thought we were great in this game in the first half, if a little open at times, but, you know... We, we created our opportunities in transition through broken play by trying to win the ball back through pressure. I mean, if Ozil really is not going to be a regular part of the strategy, do you think that pressing and trying to create chances in transition is really our, our best form of attack given just sort of the lack of, of final third passers we have? Uh, for this type of game, yeah. I mean, actually, both of our goals came off set pieces, didn't they? um effectively and and yeah Mm -hmm. yeah, and and so you know you you might point to that i I mean not a concern because they still count from set pieces but you know i mean like when you score from set pieces it's a little bit more 
yeah yeah you 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 kind of question the the creativity yeah you're not you're not building through through the thirds of the pitch and you know finishing off a move yeah 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 exactly and obviously that that Lacazette goal was so good that I think we kind of forget that it came from a corner because um the the way it came about you expect like a header don't you or something not Mm -hmm. for a guy to take four immaculate touches and wallop the ball in the top corner um so yeah, for for games like this, I I think for some games, Özil is 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 what we need. Um, I I don't think he'd have been able to remotely do what we'd have wanted him to do in this game. Um, but you know, you look at like the Burnley game, for instance, Burnley at home. I thought he played really well, and you know, you look at that pass he gave to Kalasenac. That's what we needed in that game because Burnley were playing with eight or nine men behind the ball, and we needed someone who could thread the eye of the needle. Um, this game, not so much. Had you know, had it been nil um, nil with twenty minutes to go, or had we been chasing the game, I'm certain as it would have came on would have come on so I, I think for some of those games against um the lower teams particularly at home i you know i i still think because you're not you're not gonna like you're not gonna win transitions against those teams because they're giving the ball up um i, I mean the well it's not a question because the answer is no but i suppose the question is does that represent value for the amount of money we're paying him and it doesn't but while we've got him I, you know, I, I don't. Th- I think a lot of us have said for quite a long time we don't really want him in these games. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I got, we maybe could have used him against West Ham um, last week. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> you know, you, it's easy to say anything think, in hindsight, but I think it's pretty clear we needed yeah. some something to, you know, make that precise final ball um, against West Ham, and I, I think that has been a problem in general in the final third. How, how about you, Clive? Well, I think I know what Tim's saying there, and I, I know I just we we all want Urzel to play, but we want that Urzel to play. You know, the one the one that plays those unforgettable games when we don't question his work rate, we don't question his running, we don't question anything because he plays football that's like on another planet. We just don't see it very often. And so we, you know, this is what the big debate is, right? You know, let's be honest, right? If we were to play Ozil in that position with Ramsey plays does really, really well, we may not get the same pressing, but we might get a lot more quality on the ball, right? So would that affect the team performance? We don't know. But we might also get a player that didn't create enough space for him to receive the ball, didn't work hard enough to separate from his marker to get the ball. And so we're now giving up the pressing, we're giving up quality. And so this is what a manager has to do. He has to manage the risk, right? He has to manage this and think, well, I'm not sure I can trust him. But what I do know is I know Ramsey's going to run around for me. He's going to blow exactly what I ask him to do. And he may not have the sublime talent on the ball of Ameza Ozil, but we've come away for a 2-0 win and Ramsey's played for 60, 70 minutes and been pivotal in that role. Could we honestly say Ozil could do that? Yes, he can. Can we trust him to do it? No, we can't, right? So that's that's the problem. And if you lose trust with your coach, you're sitting there with a coat on, mate. And that's the way it goes. You're not getting off that bench. I don't think he's a good substitute. I think it's all beneath him. Tim, you know the bit where they come on the on the pitch at halftime, they do little cones, and they do little cones, and all the players run through those cones when they come back on. You all, yeah, you all yeah. see what... You all see, what <laughs> one player jogs past it, doesn't he? And it's Ozil, he jogs past it. I'm not, I wouldn't... I'm not I wouldn't 
call it a jog. Have you seen that video um, on Twitter that always goes around of, of that steward doing a really pathetic job of searching people? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's kind of what Ozil does with the cones. He just, just walks past it. I'm not doing that. That's beneath me. I'm not, I don't need to speed up my feet. Right? So we can just see what he's all about. Right? He's a, he's a top, top, top player. But I'm afraid I'm not sure if he's willing to adapt what the team needs. And, I'm, I'm, and that's it for me. And for yeah. me, you've you, you got to be a team player. I don't care what you got. Let's... Um... So sorry, I finished thought. I was just gonna say I don't think we need to go too deep on the Ozil situation right now, just because you know he didn't play. We won. The team got what it needed. I I think everybody knows we've got a very talented player that we need to find a way to get something out of. And at the moment, the manager doesn't trust that he can. Um, well, Clive, let me stay with you just for a, a quick final thought about the game. Just the way we've handled the second half, that that felt really nice to me. Just a, a comfortable, professional closing out of the game. Um, any any problems with you for a little passivity in the second half? You like the the way we just held them at arm's length? How, how do you feel about that performance? You just yeah. sort of closing out the game. We left one goal on the pitch, didn't we? The, the bellowing, slightly delayed cross that was looking for a nice little side foot in the middle of the box. But apart from that, we just we we just held the game really really well. And against a Chelsea team that had a lot to play for. Right. They had a lot to play for. It was a massive game for them. They're now in a dogfight with us and Manchester United. And, and you know, Spurs got really lucky on the weekend, so we didn't quite get that. But they're going to come back to us shortly, he said, hopefully. So I think it, I thought we handled it really, really well. I, I don't see any issues with it. I thought the substitutions were good. We obviously very unlucky with the injury, and that's a major blow. We just can't get three points sometimes without losing somebody for a year. You know, it's just really... It's unbelievable. You know, we're talking about other players getting hamstrings. Well, you know, how I wish Hector Berry had a hamstring right now, you know, because he'll be back in a month and we and we progress. And I, and I do think it's really going to be a problem for us going forward. I just don't see us sustaining the heights we need to sustain. So we're going to have to really work that position well. But yeah, I'm fine with Elliot. Absolutely fine. I'm, I'm a pragmatist by nature, right? So closing games out like that is perfect for me and the fact we had a clean sheet and we looked we looked determined to get one which means we show both sides of our of our face right we show the offensive side the aggressive side the chance creation side and then we sit we sit there and say you know what we're comfortable holding um, holding out to this without conceding and that's not been an Arsenal team this season so if you look at it from a overall game perspective from a coach's perspective he might say that's probably his best game of the season because we got two goals against the top side and then we've shown the other side and defended really, really well. So I, I think it's top stuff, mate, top stuff. Yeah, my, uh, my face is always showing the offensive side. Um, so, all right, look, huge three points, big win, hooray. Um, before we say goodbye, I mean, Tim, you know, I joked at the beginning of the podcast that it was a brilliant PR exercise from Arsenal to win a big game to bury bad news, but that is in <laughs> fact what they did. And it depends on your take on the bad news. Now, the club is definitely doing some briefing because the Sven Mislintat was, you know, coasting and, you know, riding other people's coattails and resting on his laurels. Story, stories have come out with, with a vengeance this week, but it was announced that he's leaving. We did an entire Svenpocalypse pod that's on Patreon. You can go there and listen to it now, but... Uh, well, for, first listen to the rest of this, then go listen to it. Um, uh, any sort of final thoughts on on what does appear to be a bit of a debacle with Sven coming in and not even lasting a year? Or lasting about a year, I guess? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, 
So part of, part of me kind of thinks that this this is just natural um, when you lose such a big figure like Arsene Wenger, like getting it right straight away is not easy. And, you know, a, a lot of people were kind of saying, oh, we'll learn from Manchester United's mistakes and all of that. But Manchester United didn't think they'd made mistakes when they made them. And it wasn't just David Moyes. They brought loads of people in and they brought like Phil Neville and Ryan Giggs into the coaching staff. And this was going to be like the brave new face. But with the guys who can transition from the Ferguson era, from the people who knew him best and all of that. And uh, maybe Moyes wasn't. But the rest of it on paper looked looked okay. Like very few people were saying like the week after Ferguson retired, oh, this is all going to go tits up. It, it's just the, the reality is it's really, really difficult. And um, But I one thing I, I was on the Arscast about this last summer when the Gazidis rumours first um, came up. And I, I, I said that one of my worries was I had two kind of worries about this. First of all, that with Gazidis going, there's a big power vacuum and we've just hired some really ambitious guys who really like getting their face in the papers, um, which again, I've said this before, I'm not saying as a criticism, but Sven Mislintat has this uh, reputation for unearthing talent because he wants that to be out there, uh, which which is absolutely his right. And, you know, he's doing good work, so why not? But, you know, ge- generally, um, scouts are are like the invisible people um, at the club. Um, and and I, so I, I had a little bit of a reservation that have we just hired loads of really ambitious people who are looking to jump into a grave here? And I, I kind of think that's probably what's happened here. But also, um, I, I did a little thread about this this morning on Twitter. There, there was a brilliant article about two and a half years ago from Rory Smith. Um, mm-hmm. And he was talking about when Steve Walsh went to Leicester. And he was talking about Monchi and, and stuff. And this whole like guru thinking, he described it as. Um, and this idea that um, this guy, this guy here, he's cracked the transfer market. He's He's got it locked down. Get him and we'll crack the transfer market. And it doesn't always work like that because there's lots of hits and misses in transfers. But also, usually, like someone like Sven Mislintat, it's not him on his own going out and watching um, Dembele um, and Mkhitaryan and, you know, the, these fairly obscure players. He has a whole network of scouts around him to help him do that. And unless you transfer all of the scouts over with this new transfer guru guy, I, I guess it is difficult. It's difficult to recreate that environment because what you're probably doing is bottling lightning and it's it's very, very difficult to go somewhere else and bottle lightning again. So, um, you know, I, I don't think he's been here long enough for us to really judge his scouting, um, as it were. And, and we're not really clear on which, well, I'd, some of the players obviously came from his roller decks because of where they came from. Um, but we're not clear enough on that. But, you know, what's more important? than hiring like let's get the best guy at this and the best guy at this and the best guy the best guy at contracts the guy with the best contacts and um the guy who's uncovered you know whose team of scouts has uncovered all these players what what's more important is getting people who mesh getting people who can work together and um i i understood it all on paper on paper it it all looked great you know but 
I, I think there is this danger of falling into guru thinking and and just thinking if we get this guy, he'll do everything he did at the last place he was at, um, and that will be that. And and there are countless examples mm-hmm. of this. Comely, Arneson, Baldini, all of these people have have landed these big jobs and and not been able to do it. So um, there there's that. But I think the main problem for Arsenal is obviously that there was just something behind the scenes that didn't fit. And and you know that happens. And and maybe we just had to a couple of you know some we had some big egos um competing there um i would be my read of it i know what that's like and i know how hard it is to manage so i totally understand where you're coming from look i mean uh some of it's survivorship bias too right like if you get a news money dembele for a million and sell him for a hundred million no matter what else you do you're halfway on your way to being considered a guru you know what i mean because you're gonna get things wrong in the transfer market and people accept that so if you get it right a couple of times, it's survivorship bias. You're known as a guru yep. for the successes. So, Clive, you already got to do a Svenpocalypse pod. I don't want to get your take on this much more because I think we handled it pretty authoritatively, I would say, com- uh, comprehensively. But I'll ask you just about the rumor. I mean, there's some good reporting out there saying that it might be Manchi. Uh, how would you feel about that? Yeah, well, he's one of the ones I actually do know a little bit about. And I think sometimes we're getting so sort of... Uh, anal about information as fans now we start to know these people right we know who they are and we, and we judge them but i suppose tim's point about meshing is the key one and the reason why he sort of is quite exciting is one he's good he's got a reputation for being good but two he knows the manager and he's worked with the manager right and so if we're looking for you know a, a couple of weeks ago a week or so ago I was devastated about the Sven, I, what's happened there, because we know we need that person, that person in our minds, to get those for penalty to two million, because we know we've blown millions over the last three or four years, right? So we know our recovery based on our moves in the transfer market, both recruiting and selling. And so we put that all on Sven's shoulders, right? So the fact he was going was devastating. But actually, when you look at it, if you're not working well with your workmates or not working at all with what we've heard about and, and just blagging a living, then basically it doesn't really matter what um, what we think. It's about that whole thing working. And if you think back to the last few years, under you know, I don't want to keep looking back, but you've got to. There are a lot of people quite comfortable in their jobs at Arsenal, hence the whole restructuring, hence tens and tens of people that have left. I'd much rather people leave because they're not doing a job than stay around because it's an easy job and a comfortable environment. So he's gone, we move on. And the whole Monchi idea, if, if it's if it's going to happen, suddenly it's sunny again, right? And that could really be good. And I think the sort of club he's come from, that Sevilla, that sort of Dortmund-level type club, is, I think, the identity Arsenal want to be. I think we need to develop an identity of being an intelligent, well-run football club again. Because I don't think that's what we are at the moment. I think we're heading towards that direction. Over the last few years, I think it's been a bit of a laughing stock yeah. how we're how we're being run. And my hope is, you know, we talk about identity and playing identities. I just want us to be smart. I want us to be the best answer we can be. Smart decisions, smart selling, smart buying. 
bringing young players through, having the eye for talent, knowing when to sell that talent, knowing when to get the next one in. Be a smart club. Don't be a stupid club that's overspending because you've got increased revenues and you thought the revenues would last forever. The Champions League money's gone. Everyone's redoing all the club levels. And we're sitting there congratulating ourselves and our big revenue. We're actually not doing our job. We're not doing our job putting the best football team on the pitch. And we got off that. And now we're getting back on it. Right? And it's going to be great to watch this develop. And I hope that one works out, that rumour works out. But for me, I just want it to be a smarter, intelligent football club. And then we start to see the identity on the pitch come after that because we will attract whoever we want to attract. When you're sensible, you attract managers, you attract players. They don't Ooh. go to Dortmund. They don't go to Dortmund. They come to Arsenal instead because we were looking at Dembele. We were looking at Yang when they both chose that path and they wouldn't come to us because we weren't ready for them. We weren't in the best shape. They went somewhere else and that club has made money off the back of them. So I want that, I want that to change. I want us to be the club these players come to and then we'll start to see a better team on the pitch. I, I don't want to read too much into what you said, but you said if we're a smarter club, then the managers will start to come to Arsenal. So I can only assume that means you're Emery out. You heard it here first, everyone cried. <laughs> not behind the manager. Look, we're going to leave it there. Um, we've got a big FA Cup game coming up on Friday. Uh, Tim, are we getting a match preview video for that? Yes. Awesome. So, over on Patreon, you will see Tim with a video uh, preview in the FA Cup final. Uh, FA Cup final. Wouldn't that be nice? FA Cup <laughs> game tie. There you go. Against Manchester United. Then it's Cardiff. Next week, we'll have pods after all that and an additional Patreon pod coming up. So, that is all coming up. Uh, Tim is on Twitter at Stoberto. Thank you, Tim. My pleasure, as always. Clive's on Twitter at Clive PAFC. Thank you, Clive. Emery in. Yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> you said it. You can't backtrack. My name's Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Give us a five-star review. Write nasty things about us in the comments. Uh, Paul will be back for the next one. Scott will be back shortly. I'll be back home, so my audio will be normal. Uh, we love you and appreciate you, and we look forward to speaking to you after Arsenal 10, Manchester United nil. <laughs>